with you. You can go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Uh, you'll find it if you don't know where it is. Don't be shy about the table of contents in front of your Bible, okay? So go look what page it's on. Turn there. Get there however you need to do that. Ephesians is a pretty short book of the Bible. It's only six chapters long, 155 verses, but it's, it has a powerful punch, okay? It has a powerful punch. It may be short, but it's, it's very powerful because we're going to learn a few things. First, we're going to learn some things about God. We're going to learn about his, power, his mystery, his sovereignty, his providence, his grace, his mercy, his love, his power, and, and so much more. Okay, That's just a few things that we're going to learn about God and who he is in this book. We're also going to learn a lot about ourselves as well because this is how it is. We have, there's a vertical relationship in our lives with God. We learn about him. We learn who he is. We have that relationship with him, but it doesn't stay vertical. It goes horizontal, and it deals with people, right? And so that faith then translates into our lives. And so then we get to who, what should we pray for? Who are we? Why is the church, why is the church a big deal? And the church is us. How can we be truly unified? How can we imitate God? How do we approach marriage and parenting? How should we see our vocations? And there's so much more that we also find in the book of Ephesians. We're going to learn from this book, and all of us, it's going to help us take our significant steps in our faith, no matter where we're at. No matter if we're at the beginning of our journey, and maybe you're exploring what church is, you're exploring who Jesus is, you don't quite get it, you don't understand, you have questions, good, I'm glad you're here. Hopefully we can answer those. And even if you're further along your journey of faith, remember, we never arrive, we continue to walk, move one step closer, this book's also going to be very significant for you as well, because hopefully God will help you move one step closer. Because that's our mission here, right? We want to move one step closer to God and each other through Christ, that vertical and that horizontal relationship. And so that's what we're doing through the book of Ephesians. So you won't want to miss any Sunday to the, for the time being, okay? So just make sure you show up. So let's jump right in. Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I love when Paul writes letters because he just gets right to the point, okay? So right here, we see who wrote this letter, and we also see who's receiving this letter. That's what Ephesians and a lot of the books in the New Testament are. Their letters are what were called epistles, and they're sent from an author to a specific group of people. So here, we see that the author is Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, you just need to go to Acts chapter 9, and in Acts chapter 9, you can read Paul's story. You can read the story about how he was chosen by God, because before Acts 9, Paul was against Christians. He was literally trying to persecute the church and stop them, but then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and says, hey, rather than being against me, you're going to be for me and you're going to go. 
And you're going to plant churches, and you're, you're going to witness to the Gentile nation. And that's exactly what Paul does the rest of his life. He's chosen by the will of God. God chose to go to him. And he's writing this letter to the people in Ephesus, and to the people in Ephesus. Now, Paul, if you know, if you read Acts again, we know Paul went on three missionary journeys. And on two of those, the second and the third one, he goes through this town of Ephesus. And so you can kind of see that's the start of his third missionary journey. But on his second missionary journey, he went through Ephesus on his way home. And so Paul goes through Ephesus. And the reason he stops there is because at the time Paul was writing, Ephesus was most likely the fourth or fifth largest city in the world at the time. And it was a port city. It was, it was a port city, so much trade, commerce, going through that. Just absolutely massive. And so Paul goes to Ephesus for a very, very significant reason. Well, actually two. First, because he knows how much the impact the church can have on that culture, and he also understands that a lot of people need to hear about Jesus. So this was a very intentional moment for Paul to go to Ephesus and to be a witness of Jesus and to build up a church, a body of believers right there in Ephesus. And so he does that. He builds this church up, he establishes it, and then he continues on. He sets up another pastor to take over, and then he moves on and does it again in more cities. But then we have to ask, why does he write them letters, though? Why is he writing them letters? If it's already going, if it's already built up, then why are we reading Ephesians today? Well, Paul writes letters for two reasons. He writes letters first to encourage the church, but then he also wants to instruct the church, okay? So if you read a lot of these epistles in the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of encouragement. Paul's like, hey, you're great. You're doing awesome. I never stopped praying for you. I do, like, all of these things. The way you love people, your faith is amazing. He's really building people up. But at the same time, he also understands that if they grow as a church, have more people come to know Jesus, he knows that the Roman persecution is going to ensue. And he also understands that the church is going to fall victim to materialism and sensuality. Because that's what Ephesus was known for, materialism and sensuality. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And so he writes these letters to encourage them. Keep going. Keep walking. But also, I want to instruct you because it's coming. Persecution, temptation, all of this stuff is coming. So that's why he's writing to them, because he wants them to continue to further the kingdom of God in the midst of this broken, dark world. And what's amazing is, is that he actually begins to instruct them, right, actually encourage and instruct them right in verse 1. Hopefully you caught it here. But it says, I'm writing to these people. I, Paul, a chosen apostle, he starts off with, writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Right here in verse 1, Paul tells them that they have been set apart to follow Jesus faithfully in Ephesus. That's what that word holy means. That word holy means that they've been set apart Okay, so think about this whole massive city of Ephesus. So basically, God has set this church, these people apart 
to do what? To faithfully follow Christ Jesus in their community, okay? That's what he's, he's already instructing them. That's who they are. That's what they are there to do. You know, what's really interesting is that the, this word right here, faithful followers of Christ Jesus, many translations actually say faithful followers in Christ Jesus. That's pretty significant. You may be like, one little word changes it? Yes, one little word changes it. Faithful followers in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul is instructing them? You know what he's saying? He's saying that you, your identity is now in Jesus, right? He's talking about their true identity as people, as followers of Jesus. He's saying you now, because you've been set apart, because you have faith in Jesus, you now have an identity to align with and follow Jesus in your life. That phrase, in Christ, is so important because we actually find it 36 times in this very short letter. 36 times he brings up this concept of being in Christ, in Christ. And so being in Christ refers to our union with and our identification with Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a little bit here in a second, but think about this. You put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. Someone in your life, whether that be your grandparents, whether that be your parents, friend, coworker, anything like that, someone in your life really shined the light in your life, told you about Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, then all of a sudden, right in that moment, God changes your identity. And now, instead of following the course of this world, you've been set apart to follow Jesus. Because of your union with Jesus, you are now in Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are to your core. And so Paul wants to explain this to the people in Ephesus. But the beauty is, is that that's us as well. This is true for you today and for me today as well. Being in Christ defines who we are to our core and it also defines what we should be doing in this world. They are in Christ. And if you have faith in Jesus, you are in Christ. That's your identity. Right to your core. And so right off the bat, Paul's instructing them. He's encouraging them. He wants them to understand this is who you are. Isn't that amazing to hear in the midst of a culture that's really struggling with identity issues? Where there's so much going on in our world where everybody wants to follow and figure out their identity. And yet I'm here to tell you, Paul's here to tell you today that if you are in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus, that's who you are. You don't have to search anymore. That's who God has called you to be. That's your identity and so the question is, is, why does Paul start off with this? Why does he just like right off the bat jump in and want them to understand this massive truth in their life? Well, it's actually pretty simple because being in Christ is the center and source of all of our blessing in this life. Do you understand that? So our blessings in life are not these materialistic, sensual things. Our blessing in, Christ, in life is being in Christ. And I'll tell you why, because Paul says that in the next few verses. Ephesians 1, 3 through 8, 
all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. I love how he uses plurality, the word us and the word we, right? He's, he's saying we, the church, people who have faith, we, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Amen? Right? That is just, there is so much there. In this passage, Paul shows us the spiritual blessings we receive in Christ. Paul shows us the spiritual heavenly blessings that we receive in Christ. He starts off in verse 3, right here, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's really important. We're going to get to that in a second, okay? In the heavenly realms. And so the question is, is what are these spiritual blessings? What are these heavenly spiritual blessings that we receive when we are in Christ? And Paul tells us, so the first thing I want to highlight, and remember, this is not exhaustive. The list goes on. I'm just going to highlight four of them for you today. The first heavenly spiritual blessing we have is the fact that we are loved. We are loved. This is a heavenly blessing. We are so used to conditional love in this world, aren't we? Love that is based upon merit and performance. Love that starts with statements like, I love you if you do X, Y, Z. Or I love you when you do X, Y, Z. That's conditional love. That's worldly love. And that type of love have, has broken our hearts, hasn't it? It's broken your heart. It's broken my heart. We've all been affected by this conditional love. But when we talk about the heavenly blessing of Jesus and we talk about the concept that we're loved, we're not talking about this conditionality. We're talking about unconditional love, which means there's no conditions. Jesus just says, I love you. That's it. And we know that his love is unconditional because the Bible tells us time after time after time that his love is steadfast and that it endures forever. Forever. It is unconditional love. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ, this is who we are. We are loved. That is a heavenly blessing that we have received. The next blessing that he talks about is the fact that we are chosen. The fact that we are chosen. This is a heavenly blessing. All of us know the feeling of not being chosen of something in this life, right? Whether that be from grade school recess, okay, where some of you and me weren't picked because of things. That hurts, doesn't it? Or even today, maybe you wanted a job recently and you weren't chosen for the role, for the position. 
Maybe you put yourself on the line and asked someone out on a date and they did not say yes. Okay? We've all experienced this concept of not being chosen in this life and it truly hurts to our core, but being in Christ means that God will always choose you. God will always choose you. He desires to have you. He looks at us and he sees our faults. He sees our failures. He sees our shortcomings. He sees where we're not quite good at what we may need to be good at. He sees us, the puny little kid, trying to play basketball, right? Whatever the case may be, he sees us and he says, I don't care, I choose you. He looks at us and he says, you are mine. This chosenness is a heavenly blessing from God if we are in Christ, if we have faith in Jesus, We've received that. You've been chosen. And so no matter how much the world tells us that, hey, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, you don't fit, you do fit to God. God has chosen you. That is a spiritual blessing. That is who we are to our core. The next blessing that he brings up is that we have been adopted into God's family. We've been adopted into God's family. This is a heavenly blessing. Because after he chooses us, he brings us into his family. He doesn't say, hey, I choose you. Come on, you got to live in the guest house, though. He doesn't say, come on, you just kind of get scraps off the table. No, he brings us to the table. He brings us into his family as his sons and his daughters, He chooses us and he brings us into his family. I love what Max Lucado says. He says, God sought you, found you, signed the papers, and took you home. It's that simple. No questions. He didn't ask about your medical history. He didn't ask about your failures, your sins. He didn't ask about any of that. He just brought you home. He brought you home. Through Jesus, we've been grafted into God's family. That's who we are. That is a heavenly blessing. The last one I want to highlight is that we've been forgiven and free because of God's grace and kindness. We are forgiven and free because of God's grace and kindness. This is a heavenly blessing because Jesus has purchased our freedom and he has rescued us from captivity. From captivity. A lot of people don't understand redemption, but this idea is is that we aren't just kind of freewheeling it out in a field somewhere. We're captive to the prince of the power of this era, of this world. We're captive to the enemy. And yet the cross is where Jesus went and he purchased our freedom. But not only did he purchase our freedom to then just kind of smite us, but he purchased our freedom to forgive us. And that's what we just celebrated through communion, didn't we? The forgiveness that we have through Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. We are forgiven And we are freed through Christ. We are redeemed in our life. That's who we are, forgiven and free. Forgiven and free. Don't forget those words. 
You see, the list could go on here. I don't have time to exhaust it all. It goes all the way to verse 16, and we're not going to get there. So a little homework for you when you go home today. Finish the, the whole chapter, okay? Get to verse 16 and literally try to point out some of those amazing spiritual blessings that we receive when we're in Christ, all right? Because you will be astonished at what God has given us through Jesus, not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done for you and for me. These are spiritual blessings, but what's really important here, and this is why I'm not gonna finish the rest of them, what's really important here is to notice, and that word heavenly, the heavenly realms is very important because what that tells us is that all of these blessings are eternal. All of these blessings are eternal. So whereas a lot of people want to focus on their worldly blessings, well, like our houses and our jobs, and great, God does bless us with those things, but those are temporal. They're going to fade. So notice how Paul doesn't lead in with those things. Like, hey, we've been blessed. You guys have awesome houses. You have great jobs. No, he goes to blessings that are eternal, blessings that we can always hold on to, blessings that will never leave us. And you know why he does that? Because he understands that this life is not going to be easy. He understands that we're going to go through a lot in life. Financial hardships, relational hardships, social hardships, cultural hardships, whatever the case may be. And so what he's doing is he's reminding us of the things that we can hold on to. The blessings that will never leave us nor forsake us. Listen, the fact that we are loved is never going to leave you. The fact that you're chosen is never going to leave. The fact that you are adopted is never going to change. The fact that you're forgiven and free is never going to leave. Those are the blessings we can hold on to for our hope in this life because those blessings come from being in Christ, which there in turn means we can put all of our hope in Jesus, in Jesus alone, right? They are eternal blessings. And so I want to ask you today two questions real quick. Do you realize that you are in Christ today? Do you realize that you are in Christ? Like that's your identity. If you have faith and trust in Jesus, you've repented from your sins, you realize you can't do this on your own, you realize that you do fall short, do you realize that you're in Christ? Second question, do you recognize the heavenly blessings that you've been given? Are the fact that you're loved, chosen, adopted, and forgiven and freed blessings you think about on a daily basis when everything else seems to be going wrong? I know I struggle with that sometimes. I allow these other things to kind of take over. And yet time and time again, I just get driven back to Jesus knowing, you know what? This all may be going wrong, but I have these blessings I can hold on to. And so to finish this out here today, we have three prayers from Paul. He kind of finishes the chapter with these three prayers. And really in these prayers, he's asking us and he's really prompting our minds to think, what would happen if? And so let's read these prayers real quick. First, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. 
you know what he's asking us here? What would happen if we saw the world through God's eyes? This was his prayer for the church in Ephesus. This is his prayer for you and for me today. So because we understand we are in Christ and we have all of these spiritual blessings, here's what we get to do with it. We get to have God's eyes in this world. What would happen if this was our reality? The next prayer, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. What would happen if our hope in Christ inspired others to find hope? What would happen if your hope, the fact that you know you're loved, chosen, adopted, forgiven, and freed, what would happen if your hope in those blessings in Jesus, what would happen if people saw those in your life? They would yearn for that same hope. I guarantee you that. The last one. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What would happen if we believed God's resurrection power is available to us today? The same spirit who raised Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that lives within those who believe and have faith in Jesus. We have this resurrection power within us. We have this resurrection power available. What would happen if we embrace that? What would happen if we beca- that became our reality? So many good questions for us to really think about in life. And so we're going to get super practical here, okay? As we close this morning, before we respond again with a little worship, two things. If all of this is true for you today, if you know you're in Christ, you've been forgiven, freed, you're adopted, you're chosen, you're loved, if that's you today and you've never been baptized, I want to challenge you to declare your identity in Christ. That's what baptism is. It's an outward symbol of what's happened in here. And so we're having a baptism class right after this service. You're gonna meet me at the Welcome Center and we're gonna go. It's a short, short little class, okay? It's not gonna take too much time. You should come out. It's informational. We would love for you to take this next step and declare your identity in Christ. Second thing is, is on your way out today, you're gonna be receiving a card, Next week, Ephesians 2 is an amazing gospel chapter, and we are going to clearly explain the good news of Jesus for people, and we want people to accept Christ as their Savior and follow him. And so listen, we want you to go ahead and take the card we're going to give you and give it to someone else. So can you hear me here? This card's not for you. You're here. I'm inviting you right now. This card's for someone else. Invite them. Use the boldness, the power within you. It might be a little weird and awkward, but just give it to that person God lays on your heart, okay? You're gonna receive that on your way out today. Those are very practical steps we get to do this week because we are in Christ and because we've received these amazing heavenly spiritual blessings that we get to hold on to in life and instill hope in our, in our lives. And so let's embrace our identity. Let's embrace who we are today. Would you stand with me as we sing in response to what we just learned?
Let's sing these words together. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's our prayer for today. That people would see Christ in us. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. Let's sing this together. I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this. To this I close today just by reading our benediction together. Let's put it up on the screen. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.